the mental health field, if you uh, if you don't mind. Okay, okay. Well, uh, first, I want to say good morning to uh, you, Jeff, um, as well as anybody else that uh, may be listening now or in the future. Good morning. Um, I wish everyone well. Uh, my name is Stephen Roberts. I am a graduate-level mental health counseling student currently studying at Nova Southeastern University, um, pursuing a master's degree in mental health counseling, as I said. Uh, moving into my last year, my clinical uh, research year. Um, wow, what brought me into this? Uh, funny that we would <laughs> we would be discussing traumas um, of different types because in a lot of ways, in many ways, my own uh, traumas have brought me into this field um, and have inspired me to uh, take on this work and uh, do the research and learn and grow and, you know, try to be better for the sake of others um, here. So in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the the tougher life experiences that I've had uh, have pushed me um, and motivated me to do this type of work. All right. Um and also, I like to ask people if you if you have any quote that comes to mind that inspires you regarding this uh, type of work. Uh, actually, I do, and I just quoted it recently. It's a it's a quote by by Robin Williams. Um, yeah, I just saw that on your Facebook. Yeah, we'll, we'll share that one. It's a good one. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he says, um, or he said, uh, unfortunately, I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel like that. True. Yeah, it, it is very much, very much so. Anyway, well, I have. So, do you? Um, were you born in Trinidad, or were you born uh, in in Florida, or, or New York? Um, I was born stateside, uh, Brooklyn. Um, grew up mostly in Florida. I am. I'm very, very uh, Caribbean culturally, uh, mm -hmm. and that and that's due to having grown up around. Um, a lot of my older relatives and um, I, I was very different from a lot of the other uh, kids in my family where they would spend time uh, playing amongst themselves and hanging out. I spent most of my time uh, sitting um, and talking and, and listening amongst my, uh, my elder family uh -huh. members. So... Uh, yeah, I don't sound it now, um, but I'm very, very Trinidadian in culture. <laughs> uh -huh. Anyway, so so how would you, uh, I guess, relate to your specific culture? How do you see uh, how do you see the impact of trauma uh, affecting your community? Um, well, that's kind of a that's a complex question. question. Yeah, yeah, it's a complex question for me, particularly because I don't I fit in many subgroups of a larger community um i am i am african american right. 
Um, I am black. Um, however, I, I also ascribe to the Caribbean culture, and so I fit into that subgroup. I, I grew up in Florida, so in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of Southern uh, tendencies live inside of me. Um, okay. But I'm I'm also from New York, and so I have a lot of northern tendencies as well. So, um, you know, trauma, I'll, I'll trauma has... a, Yeah, okay, well, if, uh, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, I'll ask you something later. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, so trauma trauma affects um, black people. I'll just start there. Okay. Black people uh, in, a, in a myriad of ways, um, in nearly countless ways uh, right. for... for Oh gosh, a plethora of different reasons, um, and the the effects of of the traumas in which I'm speaking on and and have yet to kind of narrow down and and identify mm-hmm. um, tend to be multi generational, right? Um, much in the same much in the same way um, as the say the Jewish community um, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like. Uh, Holocaust traumas and yeah, and, that, that's and, been a, 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 an area that they've done some interesting research mm-hmm. around, around. So showing the uh, the epigenetic changes actually across the generations, and right. I don't know of any studies right. that they've done like that within the black community. But that would that I think would be worthwhile to uh, to do. Um, unfortunately, I don't know of very many studies done within the black community either. Right. Um, which you can you can, <laughs> you can talk about. Yeah, any reason reasons. for that, yeah. <laughs> but for whatever the reasons, reason or reason may be, it, it it hasn't been done or has not been done much, um, right? Which I think is a failure on the healthcare system and the and especially the mental healthcare system on our part, yeah. Um, to explore those things, uh, but I I do think that it's sorely needed, um, and way way overdue. <clears throat> yeah, specific question. Now that I asked that uh, broad question, that I, I find is, uh, I'm wondering what your take on it is. Is the, uh, I mean, this is a generalization, and I mean, you can, uh, you know, uh, you can disagree with me about it. But from my experience, gen- generally speaking, for a variety of reasons, people from um, uh, Caribbean backgrounds tend to uh, sort of more support the use of physical discipline with their children. And I was wondering what. Um, yeah, what your perspective is on that? Um, I will say that I would have to agree with that notion yeah. that that it is very true. Physical discipline is is used a lot. Um, obviously, the levels of physical discipline will vary based on person and household, and you know, which is where you come from. Um, and what and and also what you've been exposed to, uh, I think a lot of the a lot of the motivations behind that have to do with um, just the the culture in in and of itself, um, and the way the way in which people are brought up, um, and how discipline is is seen. Um, discipline isn't. In, in Caribbean cultures isn't only um, within the house from a historical perspective. Uh, so 
we have to consider also um, a lot of the a lot of the past years, and even still, um, the educational systems in Caribbean countries were were European based, mm-hmm. and and within these educational systems, um, they the institutions did utilize forms of physical discipline on students and on children. And so uh, even if they weren't being physically disciplined in the house, it was happening in the community, in the, community, in the school, outside. Uh, so that, the, that notion of it being all right and it being acceptable was one that permeated virtually all levels and from from basically birth to birth and beyond Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and and, uh what actually there's one client i worked with that came from a uh a haitian uh america well haitian he was born in haiti and then uh came to miami and he um you know he his analysis of it which i think was pretty uh pretty wise from an early age that he, he brought up the idea that he thought that his parents were Sort of physically abusive with him because they uh, threw in the cultural context with Haiti that they uh, that the French were uh, you know the Haitians were slaves to the French and that's that was his analysis of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, in in a lot of ways, yes, we we how do I want to say this? We we've we we adopt. Um, we adopt the ways of our oppressors. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's an important notion to, to consider whether you agree with it or not. Um, because when, when you're subjugated and when you're forced into a certain lifestyle for, for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. um, there, there's, an, there's an assimilation process that will inevitably take place whether you want it or not and and that has to do with with self-preservation um and just the the human need to survive right um and so just based off of that there are going to be some things that are adopted that are picked up and held on to uh even after that lifestyle changes uh which which in some ways I think that's what has happened um, both in the Caribbean as well as uh, stateside. And how, um, let's see, um, this, what's her name? Um, I think her name's Terry Williams. Are you familiar with her? Terry Williams. She's a social worker, uh, but she actually was, uh, did the PR for Miles Davis and, and very, Terry, yeah, Terry Williams and various other people. And she basically said that, uh, you know, one of her lines that she wrote this book about called Black Pain, about depression in the black community. And she, uh, I mean, one of the things that she said is just, uh, just the, the, the notion of just being uh, African-American is traumatizing in itself. I was wondering what your take is on that. Um, I would... Because I have not been exposed to her literature. No, I'm, but just I'm the not, idea about uh, being, uh, the experience of just being black and self is traumatic. I was just wondering what your opinion, what your, what your thoughts oh, on that are. Oh, if we're going to talk about the experience, <laughs> then I'm going to 100% agree with, with okay. that, with that yeah. notion yeah. that there are, 
portions of the black experience that are inevitably going to be traumatizing. Um, yeah. Day-to-day life um, in being black in virtually anywhere on the planet um, is is one where you're walking on eggshells um you 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 live with a certain level of uncertainty as to what the day will bring you um and it's it's unfair because many times we don't control and can't control um, the outcomes of of whatever it is that that we will encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, that that in and of itself can can breed a lot of anxiety, um, just a lot of of unsettled, um, a lot of unsettled thinking, a lot of uncertainty. So yeah. how how have you personally? Would you say you've uh, been able to uh, uh, deal with that? How do you? Uh, what, what what are your strategies for uh, dealing with that kind of stuff? Um, to be to be quite honest, yeah, uh, a lot of it is not rooted in strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thank the universe. I thank the creator. Um daily for the resilience that <laughs> that I um and and other people of persons of color have been given um to be able to move about um with any- Yeah, but going back to the question about the Michelle Obama thing about how you said you uh supported the idea about looking at it uh you know, looking at mental health issues like a physical illness. Yeah, so as I was saying before, I think that she's an extremely intelligent woman. I think that her her um, her commentary on the subject is spot on, um, 100% on point. Um, I agree with it. It's a notion that I hold that uh, I was talking about my Facebook page before and how I utilize it as a sounding board for issues involving mental health, issues involving the African-American community, issues involving the black com- community um, primarily, but not exclusively. Um, and the issues that affect us and tend to affect us. And one of the things that I asked uh, um, maybe a week ago, um, and I'll paraphrase, was basically why is it that we can get up and go and see a doctor when when something is wrong? And when I say doctor, I mean medical doctor, dentist, mm-hmm. uh, uh, primary care physician. Um, we can go see a doctor sometimes annually, sometimes biannually. Um, but when we have a a, a, a mental issue, uh, when we're in some sort of distress or when we're in some sort of crisis, uh, we don't get up and go see a psychotherapist. Right. Uh, it's a... It's a challenging and, and a nearly hypocritical notion Um and a conversation that completely gets ignored um, most often by our community <clears throat> for a lot of different reasons. And that, that in and of itself is a complex conversation to go into as well. Um, 
Well, I, I want to touch on something regarding, regarding this. That I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good uh, in, in taking that perspective that, that we need to uh, treat these as serious uh, issues the way we do our physical health. But, but the, uh, the problem I see in this, uh, that narrative and that conversation is that sometimes when you treat it, uh, the mental, a mental health issue uh, as a medical condition, you ignore the... Uh, the sort of social justice, human rights components and inequities in society that I feel are often are more further subjugated uh, with treating it as a medical condition rather than um, opening up the conversation about all the um, the political, social issues that contribute to uh, mental health uh, symptoms. Right, right, which is also very true. Um which is why I, I wish I always make sure to state that it is a very complex issue because it's not one that is easily solved by, you know, just getting up and going to someone's office. Yeah. Um, issues of mental health in general are, are complex issues because the, because the, the issue itself is not rooted in any one specific place. It, it, it's almost always a combination of different areas that are just out of line um, and, you know, need to be readjusted in some sort of way. So that in and of itself makes it um, somewhat difficult to deal with. Uh, I recognize the difficulty. Uh, personally, um, I won't say that I'm the biggest fan of the medical model because the medical right. model has proven time and time again to be um structurally uh flawed. ineffective. Yeah. Flawed and 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 many times ineffective. Um so that's why it's a that's why it's a touchy thing, I think, when when you say that oh, we have to treat it as a medical thing and then that sort of privileges uh psychiatrists, uh and the experts in treating mental health and and, and then that's another part of it. Uh well I think I think it depends on your 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 particular lens um and the way in which you you view treatment. Right. Because because I'm studying to be a mental health counselor. I'm not studying to be a psychiatrist. So do but right. do I expect people to still get up and come and see me? Sure, I definitely do because at the end of the day, I'm a clinician. Right. I just so happen to be a clinician that subscribes to talk therapy. Right. Because I believe in talk therapy and I believe that we are a social species and we need each other right. more than we need a pill or some sort of artificial remedy. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't want to make it seem as though I'm negating um, other professionals that subscribe to other treatment modalities because I'm, I certainly am not. Um, what I am saying is that people need to take action, some sort of action, for the issue as opposed to ignoring it and pushing it under a rug and pretending that it doesn't exist, which is right. Well, I, and I think that's, that's the value of like mm -hmm. what people like Michelle Obama are doing and talking about it and, and you, <clears throat> using the analogy with like a broken elbow or, or what mm -hmm. have you. And I think that's the good of that, uh, that conversation. Mm -hmm. But, um, right. Another piece is I'm wondering what your take on this is. I mean, that I, I really strongly believe in, and I feel glad it's sort of a, a human rights issue that a lot of people aren't looking at such, this, this notion that if somebody is uh, acting in socially undesirable ways, that, that you can use force uh, to, to 
to uh, to force them to take medication against their will. And uh, I was wondering what, what your thoughts on that are from a, a human rights perspective. Um, I don't believe that anybody should be forced to take anything against their will. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's that's period. And I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Because there are other methods of treatment. Right. So to force someone to ingest something that's going to impact their body um, beyond that moment mm-hmm. um, is a clear violation of their body um, and their bodily autonomy right. um, and them as a human being. So, no, I do not agree with that. Um, have you uh, have you worked in settings that are, or done uh, <laughs> internships around, in, you know, in the community here that it is, that those, uh, that practices is considered best practice? Um, I have not done any internships in, in those types of settings, okay. but, but I do know, but I do know some, I do sure. know some, and it, it, it is unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering what your perspective on that is, uh, you know, because unfortunately it is the reality of it that a lot of, uh, you know, people of color, minorities are uh, overwhelmingly uh, seen in these kinds of settings, uh, the public welfare system or public mental health settings, and they are forced to take uh, medication against their will. And I was wondering what your, you know, what, any thoughts on that? Right. Um, I... <laughs> You know, I tend to look at things from from a historical perspective. Yeah. Um, and 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 I do that because history does matter. Yeah, uh, where we where we've come from definitely matters, and it, it plays a huge role in where we're going. So, in consideration of time and what has transpired, it it would only make sense that. African Americans and people of color are disproportionately seen in these situations and are routinely forced into these types of scenarios because that is what has traditionally gone on. Um, and unfortunately, the the notion of helplessness that we see a lot, especially in um, in clients with with these sorts of issues, does nothing but uh help and push forward the idea that they are going to take these medications um even though a lot of the times they they probably shouldn't and and really don't need to mm-hmm. um and i mean it's it's another, yeah yeah and it's another thing too regarding this is that i mean initially a lot of the, the disability programs are really designed more for People with severe uh, sort of developmental disabilities like uh, Down syndrome and such, but mm-hmm. if you really look at the history of it now that the, the um, after the pharmaceutical industry sort of uh, got more power, that uh, and most of the people on disability now are on there for uh, you know for mental health conditions, and they're it's often conditional with to, to maintain their benefits that they have to. Um, comply with some type of psychiatric uh, drug regime. Right. And the the thing about that is that a lot of times um and and this is my opinion, yeah. psychiatric drug regimes as you so eloquently put, um I feel should be utilized for those with with severe um mental illness. Right. 
um, just out of necessity. However, because because insurance and benefits and things of that nature are built based off of insurance models, which are constructed off of the medical model, right? Which we already said before is inherently flawed, right? It forces people into a bind, um, and it forces people to take things and do things that many times make their problem worse than it would have been had they been given another option. But it's very similar to um, to issues of socioeconomic status like welfare um, and, and, and dealing with the working poor. Um, it also intersects in the um, the criminal justice system as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, and and then and then there you you have all sorts of of issues with control, sure, um, and maintenance of order or of yep. what's perceived as order. Um, yeah. I'll put it that way. It's perceived as order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I just will never forget of this guy that well, I worked at the state hospital in South Florida in Pembroke Pines mm-hmm. briefly, mm-hmm. and this there was this one um, I forget his name, but I mean it's obviously break the confidentiality. But he was uh, he was a black man from Overtown, and, and uh, somehow that uh, I don't know what was going on with him, but he was just getting to the hospital with cops and. Uh, and that he was somehow, uh, you know, told that he was schizophrenic and eventually landed himself in the, in the state hospital. But he, and uh, I remember the psychiatrist uh, telling him that he had schizophrenia and, and, and uh, you know, that he just got very angry and with her and started yelling at her and telling him that's racist, that it's, it's bullshit, it's racist. And, and really this guy, I mean, you know, if you just talked to him in a respectful way, he was very polite and nice, but... You know, but when people try to use force on him, he got very angry and stuff. But it, you know, it makes sense if somebody's going to be, you know, trying to use force against you, you're going to want to defend yourself. Of course you are. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, I, yeah, go go ahead. I mean, again, it just it comes down to the lens in which it's used, um, and of course how how um, minorities and people of color are viewed in this country. Um, the system has proven itself time and time again to view us in a way that says we are something other mm-hmm. or something not human, um, which is is scary. Um, and even though it is scary, it's a fear that a lot of times black people aren't allowed to even express. And so... Mm-hmm we're forced to kind of hold that um, and walk with that. And as I'm sure you know, when when you're not allowed and when you're not given the freedom to, to openly express your, your feelings as they truly are, they tend to manifest themselves in ways in which they probably wouldn't have had they come out the right way. Right. I mean, they, they definitely right. can manifest in terms of um... – Symptoms of mental uh, distress, uh, right? Which I, which I, I would view more of that as not necessarily a mental illness, it's just more of a, just your body responding to stress and the way it's adapting. 
Exactly. It took the words out of my mouth. But um, but I mean, going back to what I was saying earlier, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's this whole sort of um, community across the country and really worldwide by trying to critique you know, the medical model of psychiatry and offering alternative perspectives. And uh, uh, yeah, I really would like to see more people of color more engaged in that discourse, but I don't really see them. I mean, it tends to be more people that have come from more privileged that have that have maybe uh, had very adverse reactions to being on benzodiazepines and withdrawing from them or antidepressants. But I, um, but it's really the the black uh, or, you know, people of color voice is really underrepresented in that uh, discussion, which uh, I was wondering if you know anything about that. Um, I mean, it, it just makes sense that that voice would be underrepresented especially in those spaces, um, when you take a look at the psychological community in and of itself, it's primarily non-black. I mean, that's true. We, may, we make up roughly, what, what is it, one and a half percent of the national community. Right. So you're talking 99.5% other than black yeah. um, people being in a room. Uh, if you were to gather everyone together, uh, and then if we want to get more specific and say black males, right. we're talking, I, I believe, uh, and I may be incorrect, but I believe the, the percentage is like 0.3. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not here. <laughs> yeah, but, but a little bit of the voice of these communities is not even just clinicians. It's people that they call themselves like psychiatric survivors. Is one of the <clears throat> um, um, I I would imagine, and, yeah. and this would just be me trying to sympathize and place myself in yeah. in those types of conditions. But I would imagine that I've had if I were in that place, that I've had such a traumatizing experience that if I did come out of it, I would want to steer clear of it. Okay. I would want to be so far away from it. (laughs) I wouldn't want to even do with it anymore. That makes Um, sense. Yeah. And and I I may be wrong, but I, I could just imagine that that would be the case. Yeah. Hello? Hello? Uh, uh, oh, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, oh, but I mean, this could be a whole other conversation. I won't go too too much into it, but, but just <laughs> my, my experience in the working at this program with people on probation, which are, uh, as you, I'm sure, can imagine, predominantly um, African-American males. Uh, I just found that they had some uh, just good, clear insights, and they didn't have any, you know, experience with, uh, you know, with learning professionally about uh, psychology or anything, but they just could see these people, one the one I'm talking about, it wasn't, I think he dropped out of high school, wasn't well-educated, but he just, just from his life experience, was good at observing different inequities and things going on. And one of the things that I remember him pointing out was, uh, like, one of his buddies that was very aggressive, and, and then they put him on Seroquel, which was an antipsychotic, and it just made him, mm-hmm. you know, real slow and, and not have any 
yeah, not have any energy to do anything, and they, they can just saw, see the hypocrisy and the, what these how the, these drugs are actually uh, used as social control rather than you know therapeutic medication. And I right. I just appreciated the, the the insights that he had into that just by his observations. Right. Yeah. Right. But I just think it would be important, and the way I see it, to get more um, black voices in these kinds of conversations. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, as, a, as a caveat to that, it's also hard um, a lot of times because guys that end up in situations like that um, sometimes feel like they won't be heard. Right, and also they speak out that it could be used against them, too. Right, they speak out and be used against them. If they choose to speak out, nobody's going to listen because yeah. they're, they're 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 an ex felon, they're a convict, yeah. they're right. you know they're a criminal, and and yeah. a lot of that has to do with you know our our own society's stigmas against against people, just people yeah. in general. You know, if you make a mistake and you go to jail and you pay for it and you come out, you should be able to be and become a productive member of society again, again, but you can't because people label you according to your past transgressions, and they don't allow you to move forward from them. Right. Well, well, I mean, um, but then again, I mean, you also, I mean, the bigger conversation, that, oh, that's, how, that's definitely true, but the bigger conversation about the, from my perspective, understanding a little bit of the criminal justice system is the whole thing, how that the, there's that book, how the, the the criminal justice system is the new Jim Crow, and I think that's very relevant. That if um, and most people are in there for nonviolent offenses, that the, the actual the violent offenses have gone way down. But we're we're housing more people in our prisons than ever before for you know drug related crimes, which is um, which is pretty uh, ridiculous in a lot of ways. So. Right. Right. But, um. It's interesting that we would end up here because I actually wanted to be a probation officer uh-huh. um, on the federal level. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. My my bachelor's degree is in criminal justice with a minor in psychology. Okay. Uh, I had I had no intention on uh, necessarily ending up in social services. Um, right. Uh, in a lot of ways, I wanted to be an agent of the machine. Um, uh-huh. So what what shifted your perspective or your what shifted what shifted my perspective was I went on a job interview. Um, I won't say where, but I went on a job interview. It was at a correctional facility, and um, they take you on a short tour. <laughs> and during that tour, I saw some of the, the kids. I won't say I won't call them inmates. I refuse to. Yeah. Um, I saw the kids being moved about. Um, and the, the, the authority figures were, um, you know, giving these kids commands and referring to them in certain ways. And, and I just, I sat there for a moment and it struck me and I said to myself, I can't, I couldn't do this every day. Mm -hmm. I can't let these kids, um, and their faces every day and do this. Something is wrong here. A lot of these kids looked they they looked like they couldn't, you know, do anything worthwhile to have them end up here. Yeah. And if they could, 
there was some other solution than that. I, that, that. That was just my feeling behind it. And and I walked out of that, that interview and I said, you know what, if I if I don't get this job, I'm okay. Right. Um, long story short, I didn't get I didn't get the job. They ended up going with someone more experienced, which was fine. Um and I changed my trajectory and applied for grad school um in mental health counseling. Okay. So, so that's I will, how that happened. Yeah, this uh, this other question I got for you is that uh I mean like somebody of, of your position from, from what I can what I can sort of ascertain about you is that you, you know, you could easily say that like these other people that have, that are, um, that, that are, are black or, uh, or from a disenfranchised background and they're not, um, they're struggling that they just didn't work hard enough. So, so like that, that you're, that you yourself and are, are doing, doing fairly well that what, like why, uh, what keeps you sort of, um, in touch with the uh, the people that are, are aren't doing as well, or trying to point out these inequities that are going on, what, what keeps that fire burning to do that? Well, what do you mean by doing fairly well? Because uh, I think that that's right. Well, I mean, like uh, <laughs> I, I know it's a generalization, it's an assumption, but I, but I mean that you're like, uh, well, it's it's just sort of a, what what sort of. A, Thinking about me asking the question, this other person. I mean, this is kind of uh, my mind just goes a lot of different directions. But regarding, like, when I actually I was bringing up the idea, I'm, I'm not placing any judges on you about uh, experiencing physical uh, discipline growing up. But this this uh, uh, woman who was actually a police officer, Haitian American, and I was talking about the idea about how it's um, harmful to use physical punishment with kids. But she was saying, well, you know, she's her parents, you know, beat her, and she's doing fine. So, uh, so like, um, I mean, that's kind of a, an analogy, but it's just that, that these other people that aren't doing well, they just didn't work hard enough. They didn't have the discipline, and and, and not that, that there are these structural inequities that are just wrong that are that are uh, that people get uh, caught up in that, that sort of shape their course in life. Um. I mean, I went on a little different door, but the main point, I guess, is the idea that there are structural inequities that are going on that make it harder for some people to do well and shape their path. Right. I think that that interpretation that, that you know, people just aren't doing well, they aren't doing what they can. Well, they're just not working hard enough. That's the way I've seen it. That it's just yeah, that, that American idea that if you work hard enough, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I think that that is. Um, I think that that's crap. Yeah, <laughs> I think no, I, I think that's crap uh, because the American dream has, in many ways, shown itself to be a fallacy. Right. Um, and that's due to capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism is a is a machine of subjugation. Yeah. If 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 everybody worked hard enough. Everybody would be at the top of the hill, right? But that's just the way capitalism works. Everybody yeah, because you need to top. have people at the bottom for uh, for the uh, for the people at the top to uh, subjugate them, to exploit them, and to profit off them. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea that a person is not making it because they aren't working hard enough couldn't be further from the truth in most cases. Yeah. Are there some cases where people just are lazy and don't want to do anything? Of course. Yeah, sure, I'm sure there are. But but when you look 
And if you actually take the time to sit down and have conversations with people who are in positions that they wish with all of their might to be out of and just can't get out of, then you'll find that, yeah, they've been working since they were, I don't know, 12, working under the table. They've had two and three and sometimes four jobs at a time. They've, they've you know, gone from school to a job to another job to back to school because they worked all night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea that 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 people that are living in poverty and are working are not working hard enough is BS. Yeah. Uh, one particular thing that I've observed in South Florida, I was wondering if you or if you have any opinions about this, or but still, I, I really was introduced. I'm from more. Than, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and I've just seen that this is just sort of rampant in South Florida. That uh, uh, and to me, I, I, the way I've conceptualized it is sort of a, it's a mashup of uh, of capitalism and and uh, sort of the big government uh, that shows you how these things it's sort of a, they don't just sort of like oil and water. But I, I see a lot of these social service businesses that are run for profit, but then they take. They take, um, you know, they're, they're, they bill, they get funded through Medicare or Medicaid, and they're, uh, it's just uh, sort of seeing the clients as ATM machines. There's no incentive mm-hmm. to actually get the, the clients to function better because that would be bad for business. And I was wondering if mm-hmm. you have, if you've observed that or have any commentary on that. Um, I have observed that, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and, I have huge issues with that. Yeah. Um, but again, it it doesn't surprise me because this country makes money off of people being sick. Yeah. The pharmaceutical industry makes we're we're talking multi billion dollar yeah. industries. Yeah. That make money off of people being sick. If people yeah. were really getting better, these industries would go bankrupt over time. It just it's inevitable. So. They can't possibly be be working to make our people better. Right. That's antithetical to their existence. Absolutely. Can't, can't work that way. So, so the idea that anyone would believe that that's what they're doing is is a naive one, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, and it, and also unfortunately, it is one that a lot of people do have because that's what the propaganda says. Mm-hmm. The propaganda says, yes, we're working for you. We're looking for the cure. We're searching for a solution. We're, you know, we're attempting to figure a way out of whatever crisis it is that you're in. Well, but one, of the pro- the, one of the problems also goes back to the whole medical model because you're sort of uh, – a lot, a lot of the, the health uh, – one of the big they call the social determinants of health is poverty and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. you can't fix poverty with a medical solution. That's not the yeah. answer to poverty. Of course, <laughs> of course, but they're not going to answer those questions. They're not yeah. going to address the root of the problem when ad- when addressing the symptoms keep people quiet. Right. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, but I mean, I always think about this, and I bring this up around South Florida for the most part. It feels like it just falls on deaf ears, and they just think it's sort of like a hippie kind of a thing. But yeah, my perspective is is if you know. 
like if you're serving the people on welfare, Medicaid, Medicare, and you're actually working towards getting more of those people working and and, uh, and then they're purchasing goods and, and just uh, it's going to eventually, ultimately, it would help the economic situation of everybody. It would, but, but nobody, not nobody, but many people don't really and I have a hard time grasping that perspective. Right. Um, well, you know. It's, it almost sounds socialist. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think it really is it's the idea of capitalism it would work if, you know, like I said, if you're actually working to get these people. It's not necessarily implying socialism. If you're just going to help the people to actually work so that they yeah. can uh, buy things and then they, everybody would benefit. But. <laughs> I, I said that on purpose. Oh. You know, yeah. No, we're doing we're, we're very anti-socialist, yeah. even though we won't say so. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, well, thanks for joining me here. Any any closing thoughts you might want to impart? Yeah. Um. You know what? I I do have closing thoughts. Um. I. I it's important for people to, um, first and foremost, be kind to one another. Um, and when I say be kind, I mean, I mean in all sorts of ways, um, not just monetarily, not just um, in the form of uh, gifting um, by physical means, but um, treating people with with respect um, as human beings um, and with dignity um, is is of utmost importance. We don't know what the person next to us, in front of us or behind us, is going through at any given point in the day, um, and it's wrong for us to assume such things. And we should be mindful um, that we are not the center of our own universe. Um, we are but specks in the grand scheme of things. Um, we are very small with the potential to have great impacts. Um, and so I want to just impress upon folks to, um, if, if you can, where you can, and when you can, just do work for the greater good, um, whether that's getting out in the streets and protesting or, um, you know, challenging the status quo in in your your respective places of employment, your your job settings. Um, whether that's challenging your your local, state, national government, uh, whether that's working for policy change for the greater good, um, do it and don't be afraid to do it uh, because it's necessary. So you're uh, that's that's all you got. I mean, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's all you got. But uh, any, anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I could go on, but yeah, I'm sure you could. But uh, well, thanks a lot, Stephen. I really appreciate where I had the opportunity to connect with you here. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right, have a great one. You too. Have a good day. Bye.